Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on the podcast today is my friend Lauren Dalton. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. I'm excited to be with you, Richard. Thank you for the invitation. Um, Lauren is going to talk about his new book that's available called You Are Receiving Revelation. Um, it's. I think he'll talk about why the wording of that is you are receiving personal revelation. Sorry, listeners, I'm going to do this all over again. The name of the book is You Are Receiving Revelation. Now act on it. Um, Brother Dalton has spent about 16 years working with missionaries, um, including serving as president of the San Paulo. What, how do you say that mission in San Paulo? San Paulo Interlagos. And um, he just spent a lot of time working with youth, helping them um, receive personal revelation and how to act on that. He is a Harvard MBA, he's a business guy, um, dedicated church guy, obviously, um, been married for 39 years. I think you're the father of four kids. Is that right? Four kids and three grandkids so far. So I have not read all of this book, listeners, but I, I'm grateful for Brother Dalton to be on the podcast. My feeling about our doctrine um, is that Revelation's key, um, central part of our doctrine, but sometimes the tools to make that real in our life, um, we sometimes can't quite connect the dots. We know that something is available to us, but sometimes we don't know how to do that. And um, he, Brother Dalton did a, um, a devotional at the Ensign College that we went viral. And I think he'll talk about that. But our joint prayer is that if you're looking for better tools to receive revelation in your life, or if you're a parent or a local leader and looking to help others, um, that Brother Dalton's um, book and insights in this podcast will help you. Is that okay for an introduction, Lauren? That's that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And just start, since I kind of botched the name of the book, I want you to introduce the name of the book and you could just go from there. All right. And is it okay for me to mention uh, the endorse, the, yes. the wonderful endorsement I received? You bet. Um, I, I sent a manuscript before this book was published to Richard Osler, to Richard, and, and he uh read a good part of the, the manuscript and wrote a wonderful endorsement uh, to the book. And we're really excited to have that from a, a man such as him. But just to kind of talk to you a little bit about, about the book, I, the way it started is uh, when I got called to Brazil, I went to Brazil. I had the first meeting with missionaries. I felt really impressed that I needed to tell them to follow their promptings. And if they would focus on following their promptings, we would have so much more success as a mission. And after that first meeting with the missionaries, I had all kinds of missionaries set up appointments with me. And at first I thought that was exciting that they must have really liked it. Well, as it turns out, I had one after another come in and, and it, with tears in their eyes, they'd say, uh, President, I've, I've never had a prompting and I don't know what's wrong with me. And uh, I just felt terrible. It hit me then that that's why I felt prompted to give the talk that I gave was because I needed to learn right off the bat that these missionaries needed to be taught how to recognize the promptings they were already receiving. Um, they were wondering, maybe I never was forgiven of sins that I've repented of, and that's why I'm not getting promptings. No, that wasn't the case. They were getting them. They just didn't know how to recognize them. So, so I really focused on teaching them how to recognize these promptings. And then after that, 
at every state conference I went to, all the stakes in our mission, I had to do a, a Cliff's Notes version because, you know, I only have about 10 minutes in those talks, but I try to teach the members as well. Uh, when I came back from the mission, I got called to be in the Utah Orem Mission Presidency, and there's like 90 plus stakes in that mission. So I would go to state conferences, and when when I had the opportunity, I would speak it that speak about it then. And then I got asked to give a, this devotional at Ensign College that uh, I would encourage people to watch. It's 25 minutes long. You could go to either uh, YouTube and look up Lauren Dalton or Ensign College uh, there, or, or go to the Ensign College uh, site and find it. And it's a it, it really is uh, kind of what the start of this book was. It was after that talk and many of the talks I gave at state conferences in Utah on mission, that people were always asking me to write a book. And I always told them no, because I'm not an author. <laughs> never, I never pictured myself as an author. But I finally had enough people asking me that I felt like I need to write this book because Everybody, everywhere I go, people are saying the church teaches us that we need to follow promptings, but they, but we don't really know how to recognize them. And you spell it out so clearly, and uh, that really is why the book got written. I'm glad the book's written, and um, <laughs> it sounds like this is not a new space to you. I love that as soon as you got to Brazil, you talked about this, and the missionaries opened up and. Um, so I love that all the personal work and all the ministering work you've done in this book exists. Um, you're not kind of a one, you know, a one key guy or one dimensional guy, but I love that you focused in on this. It's a needed um, skill in our community. So keep sharing. Yeah, it is a favorite topic of mine. I, I have to admit, I because because I've found it to be so needed. It, it's I don't think you could go anywhere in the world and have. And and not find people that really really want to understand this better. I mean, especially now, President Nelson is telling us how important it is to have the Spirit and to follow the Spirit, and people are going, "I want to, I want to." <laughs> so so that's why I think this book is very timely right now. Um, a lot of people are confused. They feel like you know they read in the Doctrine and Covenants about Oliver Cowdery being told to have a burning of the bosom, and they think they're going to have something like that. I, it it just doesn't work that way. For example, usually, I mean, of course, it, God can talk to us any way He wants. But you know, Wilfred Woodruff said that the gift of the Holy Ghost is the greatest gift that can be bestowed upon man. But then, in, in Doctrine and Covenants eighty eight thirty three, says, "What does doth it profit a man if a gift is bestowed upon him and he receive not the gift? Behold, he rejoices not in that which is given unto him." And I. I think that Satan's done a great job in confusing us and getting us to not understand how it works. And as a result, we're you know, not that we're trying to, but we're living beneath our privileges. We're not using the Holy Ghost as we can. And, and that's what my book is all about, is taking full advantage of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We have the Holy Ghost. Let's use him. And um, so one of the things that my book does is it helps members understand it. Now, I know that God can talk to us any way he wants. He he appeared to Joseph Smith. He sent angels to talk to Alma the Younger and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Laman and Lemuel and so many others. And in Old Testament with Samuel, he spoke to him, literally spoke to him, and he could hear his voice. So we know he could do those things. But why are those things, why do we hang on to and understand those stories so well? It's because they're so unique. That's not how he usually talks to us. And that's why we love those stories, because they're just so wonderful. But God is perfect. 
And being perfect, he's also perfectly efficient and efficient in how he communicates to us. So we know in Alma that what we learned in Alma 37.6 is, is that by small and simple things that are great things brought to pass. God has a member of the Godhood whose responsibility it is to talk to us. That's the Holy Ghost. He's the communicator. So God's not going to step over him. He's going to have the Holy Ghost be the one to talk to us. And that's how we almost always will get communications from God is through the Holy Ghost. And how does the Holy Ghost do it? He talks to us. It's him talking to us. It, I should say it's a spirit, the Holy Ghost, talking to another spirit, our spirit. But the problem is we've been in these mortal tabernacles for so long. We we get uh, we don't really remember, although before we came to earth, it was we never even had to worry about it. We didn't have to think about how it happened. It just happened. But now we don't know, we don't remember how spirits communicate. So the best way for us to relate to it is to think of it in, in a physical way. And in a physical way, the way it will seem like the Holy Ghost is talking to us, but it'll seem like it's just a good idea that just popped into our head. Bing, you know, just, just a good idea that pops into our head. I call it a bing moment. And, uh, and that's really what's happening. And, and let me get, let me give you an example. So um, this is one I've shared in talks before. It's let, let's say you're watching TV or doing whatever. You could be gardening. You could be on Pinterest, whatever. But you're watching TV, and out of the blue, being I should call so and so. Now, so and so is a friend of yours you haven't seen in ten years. You haven't thought about in five years. And right now, out of the blue, while you're watching this TV show. Bing. Now, because you think it's your thought that just popped in your head, you think, yeah, I'll call him. I'll call him when this show's over. When the show's over, you forget about it. You remember it later, but you don't think bad about it because it was just your thought, you think. But let's think about it. <laughs> was it really your thought? You haven't talked to him. You haven't talked to him in 10 years, haven't thought about him in five. And in the middle of this TV show that has nothing to do with him, you all of a sudden get a thought to go. No, that wasn't your thought. The Holy Ghost knew that that friend of yours needed to hear from you right then. And that's why you got the being. And we just need to start understanding that and acting on it because those are, that is how the Holy Ghost is talking to us. It, it, that's how it, we will recognize it. It comes that way as a positive thought. Now, when I would tell this to my missionaries, Every single time, without fail, they would say, you know, that sounds great. It makes a lot of sense. But, President, how can I recognize the difference between when it's my thought and when it really is the Holy Ghost? And, I would, and, and as soon as one person would ask that question, every missionary's head in the chapel would nod their head. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. And I always said the same thing. Great question. Let me give you an answer. It doesn't matter. Just act on it. <laughs> they say, no, 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 it does matter. I want to know the difference. I'd say, look, it's almost always going to be the Holy Ghost. But let's just pretend for a second that it was your idea to do this positive thing, and you do it. Is God going to be mad? No. But if it really was from the Holy Ghost, and we decide not to do it because we think or assume it was our idea, that's when we're blowing it. We're risking losing God's confidence in us that we'll act on promptings when they come. So we just need to act. In fact, um, Elder Rasban, he quoted Joseph Smith in a general conference recently. He said, the prophet Joseph Smith taught 
that if you will listen to the first promptings, you will get it right nine times out of 10. In other words, it's almost always the Holy Ghost. Just assume it is and act on it, and and you're going to be fine. Now, there's all kinds of scriptures that back it up. Uh, DNC says in DNC 615, and I did enlighten thy mind, and now I tell thee these things that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of truth. And then in DNC 6.23, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning this matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? Um, and in DNC 8, 2 and 3, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come and which shall dwell in your heart. Now, this is the spirit of revelation. He's being as clear as he can be. In 11.13, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart of you impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. So yes, that's how he normally talks to us is these wonderful light bulb moments, these being moments that pop into our mind. Um, Now, what I told the missionaries also, Richard, is that if, you know, the old way we used to dial in on the radios, we had to have the old, we had to tune in that way. It's not digital. That's kind of what we're doing. Every time we act on a prompting, on a positive thought, a being that comes to us, when we act on it, we're tuning in just a little bit better to God's channel. And the next time, it'll be a little bit easier, and the next time, easier still. So each time, if we do it, we're tuning in better so that the next time it's easier. And if we don't, we're tuning ourselves away from it. That's one of the things I tried to teach them. Now, One of the things that is really important is to recognize that Satan is also a spirit. And as a spirit, he talks to us in the exact same way. He communicates to us. So it'll also pop into our mind, just like when the Holy Ghost does. It'll just be a being. Now, there's a my book spends a lot of time in teaching how to recognize promptings for the adversary, because I believe it's just as important to recognize promptings from him as it is from the Holy Ghost. Because if we can recognize how he talks to us, we can do a much better job of not acting on his promptings. Now, so there's five things I'm going to share about him that I think can help people. Number one, if you're getting promptings from the adversary, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. A lot of times we think, is there something wrong with me? Am I am I being bad and that's why I'm getting promptings? No. Let's think about it. Joseph Smith, we, we know about his wonderful first vision, but we rarely talk about what happened right before that first vision. Right before the first vision happened, he was overcome by the adversary, so much so that he almost even gave up. Christ, after his 40-day fast, what happened? Satan appears to him and starts tempting him. So we know that Joseph Smith, and certainly our elder brother, Jesus Christ, were not bad people. What happens is Satan, I, I argue just the opposite. If Satan is prompting you, it means you're a great person and he's trying to knock you off path. That something good is about to happen. He doesn't want that to happen. So uh, take it as a compliment and then just don't listen to him. So that's number one. Number two, he's usually the second voice. Now he can be the first voice, the first prompting, but when he's the first prompting, he's super easy to recognize because he's prompting us to do something wrong. So that's easy. But when he's the second voice, he's dangerous. He's really dangerous because he comes in and, and in fact, one of the things about when he comes on as as a second voice, 
He's there to talk us out of doing what the Holy Ghost just got through telling us to do. And, and he's going to, and he does a great job of it. Now, people say, well, how do you know about the second voice? Well, let's think about it. Joseph Smith said, if we listen to the first promptings, we'll get it right nine, nine times out of 10. He wouldn't say first prompting if there wasn't a second prompting. True. He says first prompting because he knows there's going to be a second one that comes. And that is the adversary who's going to do everything he can to keep us from acting on that first one. And the next one, number three, he uses logic. And his logic is awesome. Uh, he has, I could write a book, a, a thousand page book on all the times I fell for his promptings, his logic, um, because it made so much sense. And another thing about it, his promptings, is they're usually the easier route. The Holy Ghost's promptings are, many times will ask us to step outside of our comfort zone and do something. And his promptings are usually convincing us not to do it. And that's usually the easier route to take. So there's another reason that we will oftentimes listen to his. But let me give you some quick examples of, of how he works. So let's say a husband and wife are having, a, let's call it a warm discussion, okay? <laughs> and uh, and the wife just feels like, you know, this isn't right. The, the, and she just kind of gets up and leaves the room. The husband, then he gets a bing, bing. I should apologize. But then he gets another bing. Bing. No, she started it. <laughs> and which one does he listen to? He listens to the second one and doesn't apologize. Uh, another one that's happened. Every missionary in the world has had this happen to him. They're walking down the street. They see a man on the side of the road. He's on his cell phone. And he's really agitated. But one of the missionaries gets a bing that he needs to go talk to the guy. So he starts going over there, but then immediately afterwards, he gets another being that says, no, if I talk to him right now, he's going to get really mad at us for interrupting his call. And then he's going to not only hate us, but he'll never listen to any missionaries ever again because of us. I better just keep on walking. And he keeps on walking. <laughs> and it's because Satan's logic was so it made so much sense. But the Holy Ghost knew the guy was agitated, and he still told the missionaries True. that they needed to go talk to him. We just need to listen. Um, and, you know, because God doesn't need logic. He, how much sense did it make to build an ark on dry ground? I mean, come on. <laughs> he doesn't need logic. It, you know, how much sense does it make to look at a brass serpent and believe that by looking at a brass serpent, after being bit by fiery serpents, I'm going to live? It made no sense at all. But God doesn't need logic. He knows the right answer. So we just need to follow the promptings from the Holy Ghost, even if it appears that they don't make sense. And, and, uh, so now another one is the the adversary number four. He wants us to believe that there are thoughts. He doesn't want us to recognize they're from him. If 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 we know they're from him, we won't act on them. So he wants us to think there are thoughts that we're the ones that are doing this rationalization and that it makes sense. He also wants us to believe the Holy Ghost's promptings are our own thoughts. He doesn't want us to know they're from the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Ghost is he has nothing to hide. <laughs> But the the great deceiver Satan is always trying to confuse us and and uh, get us to believe things like that. Um, now the last one, the fifth one, is the most dangerous of all. And and um, Richard, I know you know people that have have, have we, everybody has gone through a lot of these things. And that is, Satan will oftentimes talk to us in the first person. He, he will, because he wants us to believe it really is our own thought. So as a result, he will say, I'm fat. I'm ugly. 
Nobody likes me. Um, let me see. I, I don't get anything out of reading my scriptures. I, I don't feel like my prayers are doing anything. Um, I, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore. Um, or the scariest of all, I don't want to live anymore. And he will say that same thing over and over and over, talking in the first person until we grab onto it and start saying it ourselves. And we start doing his dirty work for him to our own selves. He is so dangerous. And I just, I can't stress enough, Richard, when I want to say this, negative self-talk is not self-talk at all. It is a prompting from the adversary, talking in the first person until we take over. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the adversary anymore. <laughs> I hate, I don't like talking about him, but I just do believe it's really important for us to recognize how he works so we could do a better job of avoiding his promptings. That was a great, um, that was a really good segment. Negative self-talk. I don't want to live anymore. And just that becomes a reality if you just keep repeating those. And so that was, re that was a great segment, but especially that last part. So thank you for that. Keep sharing, yeah, Lauren. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I just, I, you know, what he does is, you know, if you think about it, there's a third of the host of heaven got kicked out. There's never, never a third of the host of heaven living on the earth at one time. So that means we have more than one of his minions assigned to each one of us at all times. So they're with us all the time. And they're constantly giving us these promptings and, and talking in the first person. They have all the time in the world. And they're just going to keep talking and, and hope that we start taking ownership of some of these things. And we just have to do a better job of kicking out that negative stuff that comes our way. Okay. Um, now, the, there's one man on the earth that I believe is, well, we all know, is the most qualified man to teach us how to receive personal revelation, President Russell M. Nelson. Um, and, uh, you know, in fact, I, I love some of the stories. I love how he keeps a notepad on his, on his nightstand with a pen because he knows that many times he's going to get woken up in the middle of the night with revelation. I mean, he has tuned his celestial radio in so tightly <laughs> that he he can, it, it, you know, and that's, and that's where we can all get personally if we will just keep acting on the bings because we'll be tuning them in as well. But he said, write the thoughts that come to your mind. That, to me, that's the bings, you know, write those down. He says, write the thoughts that come to your mind, record your feelings, and follow through with the actions that you're prompted to take. He said, as you repeat this process, day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. In other words, as you keep doing it, keep acting on those beings, you're tuning your celestial radio in tighter and tighter, and it just gets easier and easier. That's what he's telling us, is that we just need to do that. Now, the problem is, Satan's done a wonderful job of getting us to doubt our promptings. And that's what makes him so dangerous, is that we're doubting these promptings that come. Like, I would have missionary after missionary, Richard, that would say, President Dalton, I did what you said, or and it just didn't work. So I guess it really is my thought. And I, I would say, what do you mean? And everyone would have a different story, but they were very similar. It was, you know, I was walking down the street, and I felt prompted to stop and talk to this person. I talked to him, and he got really mad and chewed me out, blah, blah, blah. Or I've felt prompted to stop at this house. We go to the house and the, either nobody came to the door or they came to the door and they yelled at me and screamed at me and chased me off the property. One story after another. And I, I'd say elders, sisters, just because it didn't turn out well does not mean God didn't want you to do it. 
God, God knows how it's going to react, but if he may know, but he still needs to give them the chance. That, For example, I said, let's pretend the person you stopped on the street that treated you poorly. Tonight, he goes home. He feels bad that he treated you poorly. The next time he sees missionaries, he's going to stop them because he he's going, you know, I did such a bad thing. And it's all because you stopped him. Or the guy that chased you off his porch. He's going to go to work the next day and complain about those stupid missionaries, but he's but a fellow worker is a member of the church that's going to say, no, you should have listened to him, and they'll have a good conversation, all because you went there. So just because it looks like it didn't turn out well does not mean that it wasn't what you're supposed to do. I gave him an extreme example. I said, Abinadi was told to go back and teach the people of King Noah again. What happened to him? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, should have been it. I say, well, I guess I wasn't supposed to come back here. I mean, not only did he die, he died without knowing his success. To him, it would have looked like he was a complete failure. But what happened? He converted Alma the young, Al- Alma. And as a result, Alma converted hundreds and later thousands and later on his missions even more. So Abinadi was really responsible for thousands and thousands of people coming unto Christ. But if he judged it based on what happened to him, he would have thought he was a failure. So I said, elders and sisters, just keep doing it. If it doesn't turn out the way you wanted, shrug your shoulders, smile, and move on. You know that you did what God wanted. We don't always get to see the happy ending. There's not always going to be a bow on it, and that's okay. Do what God wants you to do and, and move on. Well, I I tried over and over to tell them that, and I'd tell them what President Elder Uchtdorf taught us, that doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. You know, you need to doubt your doubts. But they would still come back and say, President, I, you know, and a lot of them were giving up until finally I had this one experience. And I shared it. As soon as I had it, I couldn't wait to share it with the mission. I was doing an exception interview, a baptismal exception interview with this woman. And and I, my first question always in those interviews was, how did you meet the missionaries? And she'd say, well, I love these missionaries, but they're not the reason I'm getting baptized. And I said, okay, well, then then tell me why you're getting baptized. I can't wait to hear it. And she said, well, a, a couple of months back, I, I can't say I was really praying. I was, wasn't really praying to God. I was yelling at him. Uh, I, I had a terrible life, and it seemed like God either didn't exist, or if he did exist, he didn't care about me at all. And I just said, God... If you really exist, prove it to me. Uh, send me some angels. I had barely gotten those words out, and there were people clapping at my door. Now, in Brazil, you don't knock on the door. You clap to have permission to come on the re- residence, the property. She goes, there's somebody clapping at my door. So I went and I peeked out the window just so they wouldn't even know I was looking. And it was two of your missionaries. And my first thought was, wow, he's, I just said, send me your angels, and they're here. <laughs> And then I got another thought that said, no, there's no way that God could hear me asking that question and get these missionaries here that fast. So, no, that's just a coincidence. But I just kept getting that thought over and over. They finally left. I kept getting that thought. Those were my angels. Those were my angels. And it just, I couldn't get out of my thought for weeks. I mean, literally weeks. Until one day I was walking up the street and on the, across the road on the other side of the street, two missionaries, these two that are about to baptize me right now, were walking down. I crossed the street and stopped them. They told me later they knew something was wrong because usually they said people cross the street to avoid them. <laughs> but 
And she said, she goes, I stopped them and I couldn't talk. I just started crying. And when I could finally talk, I just said, what do I need to do to join your church? Wow. And that's why I'm getting baptized. So I, I went to the next zone round of zone conferences, and I said, I don't know which elder in this mission turned to his companion and said, I feel like we should clap here. And you clapped there, and then nobody answered the door, and you turned to your companion and went, well, I guess it was just my thought. <laughs> but I want you to know it wasn't your thought. That was the Holy Ghost that knew you needed to stop there, and you, elder, are the reason this woman got baptized. Wow. So you all need to quit with this. Every time it doesn't work out like you think, you can no longer say, I forbid you to say, well, I guess it was just my thought. You can say that didn't work out the way I thought it would, but you can't say that wasn't a prompting. I promise you, it almost always is a prompting. You just assume it was a prompting. You shrug your shoulders, you smile, and you move on, knowing you did what God wanted you to do. And uh, and that's when things started turning around a little bit in our mission. That's when missionaries really seemed to to be getting it, and they were okay if if they didn't get to see how the happy ending happened. Um, so let me see. Then um, another thing that can happen a lot is you we can have what I call a, a spiritual bank shot. <laughs> what I mean by a bank shot is. A bank shot in basketball, I played college basketball, so I I use terms like this a lot, but a bank shot looks like it's not going in. You know, it looks like the person's missed it, but then it hits the backboard and goes in. And that's what God does a lot of times, where we will think God's having us do something for one reason, and we find out that we're doing it for a completely different reason. God works that way a lot, and we just have to be okay with it. I'll, I'll share this great story from Sister Gunnarsson, an, an amazing missionary in our mission. Um, I had just been teaching the importance of acting on promptings, even when they don't make sense. And she and her companion had, had an appointment. They were going somewhere else. So they had some things to do in their area. And all of a sudden, she had this feeling, being, we need to go see Kelvin. Now, Kelvin was a, a young man who had, was inactive and was coming back to church, and, and they were kind of working with him. But, you know, she she goes, well, I already got these other things to do. We're heading to do these other things on the other side of the area. And Kelvin's at school right now. So, no, I'm not going to go see. And then she went, no. Nope. President Dalton said, even if it doesn't make sense, act on the prompting. So she turned to her companion and said, we got to go see Kelvin. Now, her companion said, and this is something for us to remember, a lot of times, well-intentioned people will be the voice of the adversary. And, and they're not trying to be bad, but they're saying the thoughts that come into their mind. So her companion says, no, we got these other things to do. And Kelvin's at school right now. It doesn't make sense. And she just turned to her companion and said, maybe you didn't hear me. We're going to see Kelvin. <laughs> so off they went to go see Kelvin. You get to Kelvin's house. They clap. The mom answers the door. They ask for Kelvin. Mom says, no, Kelvin's at school. Her companion said what any good companion would say. Told you so. <laughs> But Sister Gunnarsson knew she was there for a reason. She turns around. She sees a little four-year-old kid sitting on the sidewalk. She goes up to him and she says, do you know a nice family we could take to our church? And this little four-year-old boy points to a house two doors away from Kelvin's. She goes, what's their name? He shrugs his, you know, he doesn't know. She goes, do you know him at all? He shakes his head. But he's still pointing to this house. Doesn't say a word, but still pointing to this house. 
Sister Gunnarsson goes over to the house. She claps. A woman answers the door. I got an email from Sister Gunnarsson three weeks later. It was telling me this story. After this woman and her husband and two of their three kids, the two that were old enough to be baptized, were baptized. Wow. She said, President, God knew that that woman needed us at her house that very day, that very hour. But he also knew we didn't know where she lived. So he told us to go to Kelvin's house and he would do the rest. It's just amazing. Then two other neat things about that story. The woman at her baptism asked to bear her own testimony. She gets up and in her testimony, she says it's a good thing the sisters called her name because she never answers the door to strangers. After the meeting, Sister Gunnison went up and said, we didn't call you by name. She said, yeah, you did. She goes, we couldn't have called you by name. We didn't know who you were. And the woman started crying and said, I distinctly heard in a woman's voice somebody calling my name, and that's the only reason I opened the door for you. And then they wanted to thank the four-year-old boy. So they were asking everybody in the neighborhood and describing this four-year-old boy. Nobody knew who the four-year-old boy was. It's God's work. He'll do his miracles. It's just a question of whether we want to be a part of it. Just amazing stuff. So Elder Rasband said, we must be confident in our first prompting. Sometimes we rationalize. We wonder if we're feeling a spiritual impression or if it's just our own thoughts. When we begin to second guess or even third guess our feelings, and we all have, he says, we are dismissing the spirit. We are questioning divine counsel. He says, first promptings are pure inspiration from heaven. When they confirm or testify to us, we need to recognize them for what they are and never let them slip past. So often it is the spirit inspiring us to reach out to someone in need, family and friends in particular. We just need to do it. Just any time the being comes, that positive thought pops into our head, assume automatically that's the Holy Ghost. Stop what we're doing and act on it. Now, one last story that's probably my favorite story. In fact, I, I shared it in the book. It's the last thing I share in the book. Um, but it's a story my mom shared with us at a family home meeting. And uh, she... <clears throat> She was amazingly close to the Spirit. Just, I mean, she was, and she started every day with, in her morning prayer, she would say, God, trust me with at least one prompting today, and I promise I'll act on it as soon as it comes. And she had a lot of wonderful experiences, but most of the time, it didn't seem like it worked out. And she was okay with that. She did. She's the one that taught us, you smile, you shrug your shoulders, and you move on. Well, one day she was folding laundry, and, and like I, I tell people, my mom was always folding laundry. She, I'm number nine out of 11 kids, so she was always folding laundry. She was folding laundry one day, and she just got this thought that she needed, bing, I need to call so-and-so. She stopped what she was doing, went and made the phone call, and the phone call went like this. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Fine. I just thought, okay, is there anything I could do? No, click. <laughs> my mom... She smiled and shrugged her shoulders and went back to folding laundry. Typically, that would have been the end of the story. That's how a lot of her stories would end. But in this case, it didn't. Three days later, a woman knocks at the door. My mom answers the door. The woman points at her, and in a defiant manner almost, why did you call me? <laughs> My mom goes, well, I just thought, no, 
I have to know three days ago when you called me, why did you call me right then? My mom says, if you'll come in and sit down, I'll tell you. The woman came in, sat down, and my mom started telling her. And uh, she said, I was folding laundry, and I just got this strong impression out of the blue that I needed to call you. So I stopped what I was doing, and I made the phone call. And I know I caught you at a bad time, and I'm sorry about that. I could tell. And I do apologize. And the woman just started crying. And she was, and finally she's crying so much, my mom just hugged her. And my mom said they hugged for a few minutes. And then finally the woman gained her composure and she said, No, Sister Dalton, let me tell you why you called me. She said, Nobody's known this. I haven't shared it with anybody, but for a, a number of weeks now, I've been falling into a deeper and deeper state of depression. I haven't even shared it with my husband. But three days ago, it was so bad that I got on my knees and I told God, unless a miracle occurs, my dear husband is coming home to a dead wife tonight. Sister Dalton, I was in the very act of taking my life when the phone rang. And I answered it. Because it startled me. And that's why I treated you so poorly. And I'm sorry that I did. But I remember thinking, why did I answer the phone? As soon as I hung up with you, I got this strong feeling that said, that's your miracle. And I went, that's not a miracle. That was a coincidence. In fact, it's not even a coincidence. That's an inconvenience. But I just kept getting this thought. They would come back and said, no, that was your miracle. Go ask her. For three days, it, I can't get it to leave my head. That was your miracle. Go ask her. And that's why I came to ask you. And now I know, Sister Dalton, you were my miracle. And I know to you, it seemed like a small thing, making a phone call. But Sister Dalton, your phone call saved my life. And then my mom said something that is that haunted me ever since and has really helped me act immediately on property. She said, what would have happened had I said, I will call her after I finish folding the laundry? She said to us sons and daughters in this family home evening lesson, not only do you need to act on promptings, you need to act on them immediately as soon as they come because you never know when it is urgent. So anyway, those are some stories. I I, uh, I shared a few stories from <clears throat> from the book. Uh, there's a whole lot of more a whole lot more stories in the book than that, and a whole lot more principles in the book than that. But I, I shared a few of them with you, Richard. I hope that uh, your listeners will be excited about uh, getting this book and and letting it be play a, an important part. I will end with this. President Kimball said, "God does notice us." He watches over us, but it is usually through another person that he meets our needs. So the question is, do we want to be one of those other people? Do we want to be part of God's army and let him prompt us because he is prompting us all the time? So my challenge for each of us is to start each day in our morning prayer the way my mom always did. God, trust me with at least one prompting. I promise I'll act on it the minute it comes. And then when we get that positive being, even if it asks us to step outside of our comfort zone, even if it doesn't make sense, just go act on it. And if we do, 
it will change a lot of lives. And every so often, we might even get to see the rest of the story and how it ends. So anyway, that's uh, I have a strong testimony that God is here, and He loves us, and He wants to be in the details of the lives of His children, and, and it, we can be a big part of it if we just want to. And I, I'll, I'll, uh, if you don't mind, I hope I, I, I'm going to end this by saying in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Um, thank you for that, Lauren. I wish sometimes we had a YouTube version of this because Lauren, watching him as he talks, is part of the his gift. I mean, he's, you, you do a, it's just motor, it's just impactful. Um, so you have a a presence about you and a light about you and an enthusiasm about you. I can almost imagine you in mission conference um, <laughs> with these sisters and elders, um, listeners. I, you know, we haven't done a lot of podcasts in this space. I'm really grateful that Brother Dalton's um, shared some of his thoughts, and we'll link to the book and the show notes. We'll also link to his Ensign College devotional. So those are two things that will be in the show notes, the Amazon link and the College Ensign devotional. Uh, you remind me of our doctrine. It's sometimes we uh, things I don't talk about get reminded that um, God answers prayers, but he does that through the Holy Ghost. I've, if you told me that uh, a day ago, I would have said, of course so. But then when you kind of just remind me that it's a spirit that talks to my spirit, it just re- it reminds me of the process to receive personal revelation and how important that is and how central is that doctrine. I love the bank shot being, you know, because sometimes I'll be watching a game and you played um, professional basketball, I think you said, or college basketball. College, college, yeah. I, we'll I keep wasn't you quite in, that good. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like it's not going in the right direction. And then it's a very quick at the end. It can be a long shot that it just everybody in the crowd and maybe the shooter thinks that's not going in the right direction. The shooter may know it was a bank shot, but then suddenly, right before it looks like a miss, it hits and goes in. So I love that story <laughs> and the principle that teaches. Talk about, was I was thinking about, I love the being. I was thinking there's kind of two types of personal revelation. One is the sort of, I'm a marketing guy, I'll call it the unaided, where, um, especially for missionaries and just all of us, like your mother, it's, you're not really praying specifically for a personal situation to be solved, but you're just in tune enough to the spirit, you're a full-time missionary that you get being moments and you've got to act on them. And but talk about you know, and I know that I assume you'll have some thoughts on this. Talk to listeners or people that are trying to help listeners that you know they're really struggling with the, like a key decision in their life, um, like should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Uh-huh. So I would call that not necessarily. It's more aided. They want an answer. They're in the space of I need to receive right. being moments, so to speak, for the questions I'm wrestling with. Um, talk talk about people that are working in that space. That's a great question, and and, and you know, there's I, I talked a little bit about that in the book, not as much. In fact, I had it in the book originally, but my original book was 400 pages, and the publisher <laughs> said that's not going to publish. <laughs> I had to cut it in half, um, so a lot of it got taken out, and that was part of the ones that, that did. But I talked a lot. Uh, we hear and have been counseled on this a lot, and that is that we should always seek God's. God's uh, answers to those questions. But the way we should seek them is first, we need to study it out ourselves. 
we need to put, you know, do a Ben Franklin T, the pros and the cons. This is the why I should, this is why I shouldn't. And then we should come up with a very well thought out what we believe is the right answer. And then instead of asking God to tell us what the right answer is, we need to take our answer that we've come up with to God and ask for him to confirm, is this the right answer? And there will even be some times, now a lot of times God will really give us a good answer, especially if we're in the spirit of fasting or something. But there's going to be some times where God still won't. And those are the times where it's really frustrating. And that's and what we need to do in those cases is we need to say, okay, God, I've thought this out. I've weighed all the pros and cons. I've made what I think is the best decision. I've now taken it to you, and I still haven't got an answer. So I now am going to move forward with this decision, and I'm going to do my best to make this be the right decision. Now, if you want me to do something different, it's up to you to let me know because I'm moving forward now. I'm not going to just sit here until I get an answer. It's we, we have to keep moving and living our lives. And if we do it that way, knowing that we've done all that we can, now we can let it be up to God if he wants us to do something different. I love that answer. Um, I had a hunch you'd have a really good answer. Listeners, one of the my favorite talks, and I'm sure Brother Dunn's can, I'm very familiar with, is Elder Bednar's light switch, where we sometimes we get personal revelation. It's a dramatic light switch, but... Other times, it's what you described. And, and you know, I used to be a long-distance runner, and I used to love to get up before daylight. And I can't remember if this was in his talk or some other time. And sometimes in those early morning runs, I'd start out completely dark. And in a, in a cloudy morning, and I live around the mountains, it, it would just gradually get light. And I wouldn't even know when the sun actually came over the mountain. But in that process, um, I realized. I had it, it was light. Or in this example, I had an answer to my prayer and I couldn't even point back to the moment that the answer occurred. I just was in the light and understood. And part of it was what you suggested. I moved forward and I, it just, and I kind of remember, wait a second, I was really unsettled about this and now I'm really settled about it. Remember taking a job after grad school and it felt that way. There was no dramatic light switch moment and it was a big decision this wasn't like a little decision yeah yeah. it was where i was going to live and i was still unmarried at the time coming out of grad school and so that was an example at least in my life where it was clear but i never quite knew exactly when but i did what you did i just moved forward and um, processed the different job offers i got gratefully got some and and then it it worked out in hindsight Thoughts on I've that. had experiences in my life both ways. I've had ones where, boy, it, the Lord made it really clear, this is the right answer. And then I've had other times where I didn't get an answer. And so what I've trained myself to do in, in those cases, is I just say, okay, I'm moving forward with this decision. And I it's up to me to make this be the right decision. <laughs> so you have to move forward. You can't move forward hesitatingly. You've got to move forward saying, okay, I'm going to go make this, this happen. And uh and then if God wants, you know, I, I think I, I think it's Elder Holland. Was it Elder Holland to hold that story about he's with his son? Yeah, St. George. The fork of the road. And yeah. the son wanted to know, you know, they start going the wrong, they felt like they're supposed to go this way. They start going that way. Turns out to be really quickly to find out it's the wrong way. And they start going, and the, and the son goes, well, why do you think God had us go the wrong way? And his answer was, because this way we could find out in a hurry, this was the wrong way, instead of doubting ourselves going the other way. So 
it's I, I thought that's a great story as well. I love that story and it um it gives clarity for sometimes when we do move in a direction and it doesn't work out and we go we start to doubt ourselves and say, my ability to get personal revelation is compromised, or we can point to something in the past that's sin related and falsely conclude God doesn't love us and we're on our own. And so I love that. Um and sometimes these decisions are like, you know, a job as a single person is one thing, but marrying somebody is sort of, you know, both people need to get personal revelation for that. And that's a whole <laughs> other podcast, but some of these decisions involve um, the revelation that other people are going to receive. And I think we just need to honor the complexity of that. If somebody may get it a little different than feeling than we have, and and that's yeah. maybe a whole nother podcast, but... No, in, in, in my book, I quote Elder Hales, um, the story he shared in conference where he said that this young man tells this woman, I've got an answer. God told me that you're supposed to be my wife. And she says, well, when I get the same answer, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> I love that story. That is perfect. Sometimes culturally listeners, I'll, I'll hear, I even maybe hear this in a general conference talk or somebody got, it's sort of this culture that if I can get to a real senior leader in the church, I think it was easier to get to senior leaders. So I think we used to share these stories, you know, that we, some would say, well, I met with this, an apostle and he guided me in my career choice. And I love hearing those stories, but I think it creates potentially a culture that I'm going to yes. get better personal revelation higher up the, you know, you only got some advice from a bishop. I got some advice from a state president or an area authority 70. And <laughs> I think it, we want to make the right decision. And so it can create a culture that, you know, uh, yeah, I'd love to meet with an apostle and run some ideas by the apostle. But I think that what you're teaching is personal revelation is personal. And all these voices around us, uh, you know, as a priest leader, I'm sure you were reluctant to tell people what to do, but to give them principles to get personal revelation, even though they probably, you've probably had hundreds of these conversations with someone saying, President Dalton, tell me what to do. Um, exactly. Talk if you want to talk to any about that. I'd be interested in your thoughts, especially in their final interviews as they're going <laughs> home and they, you know, I, do I marry this girl or this young man, and do I, you know, these different things, and, and I'd say I, I don't have right to have that inspiration Good. for you. You are the one that has the right to get inspiration on that, not me. And and you know when we talk about like you said about the, you know, I got revelation, I got a response from the state president instead of the bishop. Well, there's no better person to get it from than a member of the Godhood. So when we can have the Godhead, the Holy Ghost being the one to give us the answer, that that trumps anybody. We don't need to go to Salt Lake City. We've got a member of the Godhead that's ready to talk to us. And, and that's why President Nelson is saying how critical it is in the coming days, not just now, but in the coming days, it's even going to be more critical for us to have this closeness with the Spirit and following those promptings. So. If there's ever been a time that people need to start learning how to recognize these things and tuning in their celestial radios, it's now, because as every day goes forward, it's going to just be more critical in our lives. So we need to start not only doing this, but putting it into practice now and getting better at it, because as we're more in tune, it will be easier to recognize those promptings as they come and those answers to our prayers in the future. I wrote down the word personality types. My wife and I are very different personality types. I'm regimented and have a schedule and kind of my day planned out. And when there's something that comes up, 
even a good thing, like one of my sons will call and say, Dad, do you want to play golf? I love to play golf and I love to be with my son. But my personality type is the, the spontaneous index is like negative. And my <laughs> wife is very spontaneous. So she would just see the big picture and she doesn't play golf. But in that situation, she would like go play golf with her son because those are two good things. And and I'm thinking of this in the context of being moments that I prob some personalities, and I think what I'm leading to this may be a skill that some people may need to acquire the because their personality types creates headwind to to mute the being moments and say, well, that's just kind of my personality doesn't do that. Why some would be like your mom and just pick up the phone. So I don't know if you got any thoughts on that, but I'm just trying to, you know, share some of my own personality. I, I think that's, a, <laughs> that, that's a great insight. And, and frankly, I think no matter what our personality type, most often there's going to be a lot of times the prompting really is asking us to step outside of our comfort zone, no matter what hmm. our personality is. There's, it's just, I think that's part of what, why it requires the faith to do it is because it's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. Um, but we just, it, it's just a matter of trying it. You know, if we could just start trying it. And then what happens is I, I can almost promise you, Richard, that the first few times somebody tries this, it will seem like it didn't work out. And, and Satan's going to jump on it. And then we're going to have those things, those thoughts that are going to come. See, it was just my thought, you know. And that's Satan again talking because he's, he's talking in the first person, wanting us to give up and not try it anymore. But we just have to do it. And, and it's fun because as we do it, every now and then we get to see the fun results. And, and, and it'll, you'll notice that the beings will be so much stronger as you start doing it, it just starts being so much easier to recognize them than it used to be. And uh, you start immediately recognizing it as coming from the Holy Ghost instead of feeling like, oh, that's my thought. I love that. And I love when you talk about being moments, you can't, can't fully connect the dots on the story. And I culturally, we celebrate being moments in testimony meeting and in a mission conference. But I love where you talk about there's some being moments you don't know the full outcome of what the being moment was. And we don't get up in testimony meeting generally and talk about our being moments where there's not the rest of the story understood at that time. And I sense that your book and just what you've said on the podcast. So I, I share that listeners because I, I think we should continue to act on our being moments, just like Brother Dalton's inviting us, even if we don't you know, even if we don't have dramatic outcomes, we can't then say, well, that was some Satan. Maybe you want to talk about that more. I'm not really in tune or this is just me. Cause I think that's, I think we continue to act on our being moments and maybe someday God will take us up to the top of a tall mountain in the next life and let us see the totality of acting in our it. being moments. So I don't I know if you want to, the culture are, kind of celebrates the being moments where there's a known outcome and doesn't with the others. So if we're getting a bunch of these with the others, they may just be as important, just like you're suggesting as the known ones. So you know, if, if that woman had never knocked on my mom's door three days later, it wouldn't yeah. have changed the fact that it, it saved her life. It's just that my mom wouldn't find out about it until the other, on the other side of the veil. So that's actually one of the reasons I'm excited about the other side of the veil is to find out, the rest of the story on a lot of these things, you know, that'll be fun to see. Um, one more quick thing. I, I, almost every time when I, 
when I teach these principles, somebody comes up to me and says, but I thought Satan can't read our thoughts. And so and you're, it seems like you're saying that he can read our thoughts. And no, I'm not saying that. But Satan is a spirit. And if he has one of his minions at our side at all times, they can, as a spirit, he can listen in when the Holy Ghost is, as a spirit, is talking to us. So he's really, what he's doing is he's eavesdropping. He's not necessarily, I'm not saying he's reading our, our minds, but I, but he's eavesdropping on what the Holy Ghost tells us so that he can immediately tell us differently. I love that. I love where you, we kind of just, Satan's, you know, in this space, but I love the way you frame it in a way that feels um, less fearful. Um, you said some really things in your second point about Satan. You said he's usually the second voice. Yep. I agree with that. That makes sense. And it's usually a voice sort of backing away from your first voice. So I thought that was really helpful. And then I, um, that he talks in the first person in a negative way. I don't want to and live he uses anymore. Great logic. Boy, does he use good logic, Richard. <laughs> and I think, you know, if you get really in that space and your brain's sort of wired that way, you may you need some mental health care to sort of unwire that, even though this is a spiritual challenge and Satan's a spiritual and a negative spiritual. We don't usually think of him as creating a health care challenge, but if your brain gets so wired in this negative thoughts um, spiral, you may need not only spiritual help, but you may need some mental health to reprogram just the way your brain is thinking. Um, if you're just consumed with these negative first person thoughts about you, um, God yes. doesn't talk about, you kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but I, you know, some would say, well, I'm not worthy to get being moments. Cause I'm not, I don't have a temple recommend right now. Let's use an example. I've, I've served a mission. I know what's true. And now look at me right now. I actually don't have a temple recommend and I've yeah, messed that's... up. Or, and so I'm not worthy of being moments. And now I've got this big decision um, on now, a career choice. Answer, and you know, <laughs> and I can't go to be... God until I kind of get my temple recommend, get my life in order. And then I can sort of ask God's help. Talk. I think you've got some feelings on that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's Satan. That's Satan talking to you. Satan wants you to not communicate. He doesn't want you to talk to God. He wants you to quit praying, and he wants you to quit thinking that God will want to talk to you. God is your Father. He will always want to talk to you. You will never be at a point in your life, ever, where you're not worthy to have God talk to you, because he loves you as one of his children, and he wants to talk to you. So, you need to know that. I love that. I hope you can sense Brother Dalton's emotion in that. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Lauren? This has been one of the best hours I've spent in my life, Richard. <laughs> this has really been fun just visiting with you and and, uh, and just kind of talking as friends about the this very important principle. Well, listeners, I've learned a lot, and it's just a really important subject. It's core doctrine in our church. We've never meant to it's always been about a relationship with God and receiving personal revelation. And um, and so the principles that Brother Dalton talks about apply to all of us at all times in our life. And I think they're principles that we can sort of refine as we act on them and learn and grow. And so even if you may listen to this and say, I don't really get being moments and I'm not used to writing things down, I think both of us would just say, well, start now. Um, yes. <laughs> I text myself when I get Bing moments. Some of you with better technology may 
do voice memos. Some you may not be able to act on right now if it's during the middle of the night and your impression is, I need to act on this in the morning. But I think the key that Brother Dalton is saying is we, we write them down so they don't pass. And we develop a process that's unique to us on how to make sure that those thoughts that came into our mind, whether it's a being moment or receiving personal revelation for a big decision, we have a way to process those and, and refine that because I think we get better at it. I think it's a spiritual gift that's available to all of us, but I think it's one of those gifts that the more we use it, the better God works through us as you're sharing, the more we know how to make it work in our lives. Um, so listeners, I'm going to do the name of the book correctly. It's, <laughs> it's, I know you chose this. You are receiving revelation. Um, it's a pretty powerful book title. It's not like a question. It's not sort of like a maybe in there. You are receiving revelation now act on it. So we will link to the book. Um, it'll be at desert book. It'll, I'll put the Amazon link and we'll link to your ensign college devotional. Um, do you want us to put your email in there? Sure. It's uh, Lauren, L-O-R-E-N, at heavensbeings.com. Now, where would you come up with the idea for Heaven's Beings? That's plural, <laughs> by the way, Beings, so I love that. Um, but please check out this book. Um, share it. You know, I think it'll help each of us as we read it, but share it with others. Um, I think it's a really important book and a really key time when there's a lot of information coming us from a lot of different sources. There's probably more of that in the world than any time in my life. And I don't want to point in negatively at the different sources, just it's out there. And But our way forward is just the way that Brother Dalton has described. So um, this is Lauren Dalton and Richard Osler signing off and Brother Dalton has a picture of the temple on a Zoom screen behind him. Which temple is that? That's the Sao Paulo Temple. Just It was just oh. outside of our mission boundaries on our mission, but boy, we loved it. And that's just, a, that is beautiful. And Temple, for those of you that Temple recommends, is a great way to receive personal revelation or connect with God. But I think if you don't have a, pers- a Temple recommend, don't feel like then you're outside of the ability to get personal revelation, as Brother Dalton's clearly communicated. That is Satan saying you're not worthy of God's love, and we both would not want you to feel that way. So, Brother Dolan and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>